Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Wisdom Seeker Sunday School class. I think our high today is going to be like 22 degrees, low 15 degrees. You know, we're a little spoiled here in Dallas. We kind of like in the winter the 60s and the 70s, but uh, not this week. Um, I was talking to my daughter, and I said, did you know that winter storm that's coming in um, is named Heather. She started laughing. I said, no, I was watching a weather video and they said, it's the Heather storm. Um, we just hope it's short-lived, the storm, and it dissipates quickly. You know, they always say everything is bigger in Texas, but we, we don't need a, a big snowstorm. Um, my topic today is um, spiritual readiness, and I've been thinking about and meditating on this uh, for a while, and of course I've been praying for our country, and all of you know the turmoil and, and division that you know is moving across our nation, and uh, the way I describe it is just like a big black cloud hanging over us. And um, sometimes I watch certain things on television and um, listen to the discussion and I think, oh, there's such hate in our country right now, division. And it's just, it's, it's pulling people apart and it's pitting people against each other uh, verbally. And, um, you know, it's just really a sad situation in our country right now. Um, but in my studies for this uh, teaching, <clears throat> I've been looking at a lot of scripture, and you can see that because you saw my handout. Um, and I actually cut it back. <laughs> so I have a lot of scripture. Um, but uh, I found it very helpful for me uh, just working on this, uh, putting it together, making it uh, you know, into like an outline, that it was, it was helping me. And it was helping me in my prayers for our country and, and uh, for my families. and. Uh, that are around me, uh, both sides, extended families. We've had a few things occur this last couple of weeks that kind of took us by surprise, but that's, that's true of all families. But I just pray that this, um, this, this lesson today will really bless you and minister to you. Um, uh, this first passage, um, it's about the travels of Paul. And uh, many, uh, Bible experts uh, describe Paul, and, and I liked this, it says, as one who was not like a single candle upon a table that gives light to only one room, but like the sun that goes its circuit to give light to many. Wow, what a description of Paul, very powerful statement about him. And you know, he truly was the great apostle to the Gentiles, and he was definitely the defender of the Christian faith. So in this scripture, uh, we are going to read uh, Paul. Uh, he was under the sponsorship of the church at Antioch in Syria. And as we know, he undertook three great missionary journeys uh, to the Roman world. So in this particular chapter in Acts, Paul was preaching in Thessalonica. 
And he was so sorely persecuted by the unbelieving Jews in that city that the brethren moved him and his team to uh, Berea by night. Uh, Paul said that the people were more noble, uh, which means more well-bred in Berea, than those living in Thessalonica. So let's read it. It's Acts 17, 11. Uh, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Uh, let's go back and look at this word readiness. Prothamia, <clears throat> meaning, and I just love this definition. Just think about these words. An inclination, eagerness, to be forward in spirit. Are you forward in spirit? <laughs> Predisposed, a willing mind, and alacrity, which you know is a speed or a, a quickness to understand immediately. Um, so, to summarize, to be spiritually ready is to be prepared and available for service or action all the time. Uh, mentally, uh, you are willing and prompt in understanding or reacting to the Word of God with great eagerness. And we as saints really, truly must maintain this all the time in our walk. I want that, don't you? Amen. My um, outline of steps, um, I, I, I tried to create steps, and of course this is my interpretation, of course, how I set it up. Uh, it's really to um, help you each time, and I'm speaking to you as individuals right now, when we transition into a new strata or a new level, or uh, you're in a new terrain in the spirit, or uh, you're in a place of deep uh, supplication and intercession. The, um, you know, as we, um, as we proceed, as we go forward into the places our Father has prepared for us, you know, we always must be mindful of what He is requiring of us at that time. Um, I also want to interject this. We do not know how long God will keep us on the earth to fulfill his will. So we must kind of view these transitions uh, with an eagerness and a willing mind. I, I, this is kind of sobering, but you know, death comes to all of us and it comes according to his perfect will course. So, and I'm going to segue now, um, in this first section here uh, for going forward into the future. Uh, my first example is about the godly man, uh, King Hezekiah. Um, the prophet um, Isaiah warns Hezekiah to prepare for death and to do it quickly. He must set his heart in order, as well as his household affairs, and then command his heir to rule. He needed to go through those steps. 
So let's look at 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed. Now I'm going to come back and talk about these words. And unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect, now this word perfect means complete, and what I really liked was made ready. The heart was made ready. And have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore, and it came to pass afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. All right, now go back with me. Um, you know, Hezekiah in um, verse 2 uh, prayed a palal prayer to Yahweh. Uh, he humbled himself and, and he committed who he was to God by telling the Father he was a man of integrity. Now look at verse 3. I have walked in truth or trustworthiness with a perfect heart or a readiness of heart. Yahweh, who represents the plan of God, heard his prayer He's the purveyor of justice, and he sends Isaiah back with another word saying he heard his prayer to Pilah, which means that God, as the great judge of heaven, assessing where Hezekiah was in following the ways of God according to his divine will and purpose. So in verse 5, God heard Shema, his prayer. He understood his words and gave loving notice to his plea when he saw or ra'ah his tears. The ra'ah truly showed forth a measure of appreciation within that heart of God regarding the faithfulness of Hezekiah. As the king, he was standing with God against the evils against the nation of Israel. God told the prophet Isaiah to tell Hezekiah to take a cake of figs and place it upon the boil, which would ripen the boil and bring it to a head, allowing the infection to draw out. 
therefore discharging the disease from his body. Now remember back Nathaniel who sat under the fig tree to hear from God. Hezekiah really wanted to commune with God as well and to fulfill his assignment or burden from his creator. Um, you know, God not only honored Hezekiah's prayers, but he also exceeded them. Now think about this. He was restored from illness. He was well enough on the third day to give thanks in the house of the Lord after being on his deathbed. He was given 15 additional years of life and he also delivered Jerusalem from the king of Assyria. Our Father wants the very best for all of us, but he is not able to fashion this if we are not with him in a deep place of devotion and love. We must be willing to stand strong in a turbulent place, keeping our minds and our hearts fixed upon the Lord. Um, you know, this is the condition right now in the United States. It's very turbulent right now. All right, let's just keep going. Um, in this next parable, uh, Jesus was um, trying to guide the conscience of his disciples and he wanted them to watch and be ready. So let's look at that one. It's about the goodman of the house. Matthew 24 verses 42 through 46. Watch Gregorio be vigilant therefore for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, hetoimos, that means to be prepared. I'm going to talk about uh, a fitness uh, later on, a couple verses later. Uh, For such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise, this is Phronimos, uh, thoughtful servant. That's, that's one definition, and I'm going to talk about that again too. Whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season, Kairos. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. You know, we need to be watchful because the Lord's coming is very uncertain. We cannot know that we have a long time to live, maybe less than we think. So it's important for us to be alert. Now, let's look at this word ready. Um, it means to be prepared at all times 
and then that wise, phronimos, which really, these are more descriptive words, I think. I just didn't have time to change it. It was after the fact. But phronimos really means to be discreet or cautious, uh, to use your skills in an intelligent way, to give spiritual nourishment to others, especially at those specific juncture points of time in our journey in life. Um, this is really an unceasing process that we do all the time, and it's just like breathing. It's very natural. All right. Let's just keep going. Um, let me say this. There are three uh, parables in this next chapter in Matthew about watching and being ready. I'm only going to re reference this one. I looked at all three, and I felt like I needed to do the parable of the ten virgins. And I was really hesitant because we talk about it a lot. But here we go. Uh, Matthew 25, 10 through 13. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready, and again, this is uh, hetoimos, uh, being prepared, went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, Gregorio, be vigilant. Therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. All right, let's talk about these virgins. They were to meet the bridegroom. Uh, they were to wait upon the bridegroom when he appeared as attendants. They were to honor him, uh, hold up his name, uh, bring forth praise, and of course to have lights in their hands. And we as Christians are truly children of light. Um, let's look at verse 5 of Matthew 25. Now, um, I did not include it, but this is what it says on your handout. You don't have it on your handout. All the virgins, all means everybody, all the virgins slumbered and slept. <coughs> that was back in verse 5. And that was an afterthought. I should have inserted that. Uh, the bridegroom tarried. Um, he did not come as soon as they expected him. Um, um, you know, what we look for as certain um, means we are thinking it's very near. Um, Christ, as pertaining to all of us, uh, it seems, he seems to tarry. And, and really, he does not delay. Um, though Christ tarry past our time, he will not tarry past the appointed time. Um, while he tarried, those that waited for him grew careless and forgot what they were attending. The wise virgins kept their lamps burning, but did not keep themselves awake. So I think the point here is we must watch 
with our eyes open and be ready. All right, this next one is, we must not be anxious about worldly things. Luke 12, 34 through 40, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. When we will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and shall come forth and serve him or them. And he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so. Blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. You know, our treasure is in heaven, <clears throat> which is a great storehouse. It will never be exhausted. <clears throat> spoiled <clears throat> or corrupted um, you know we are encouraged to wait with great confidence for the spirit of the of a man is the candle of the Lord now I want you to note that twice in this passage we are to gird up our loins um, let's see verses 35 and 37 how do we do that? By preparing, training, or possibly arming ourselves with courage. And then lastly, uh, to be ready, verse, verse 40, means a readiness for the Lord's return to the earth, which, you know, we must hold in our minds daily. I was cold this morning and I drank a lot of tea <clears throat> with sweetener. So it's made my voice dry. not only are we receiving the fresh bread and the fresh, you know, the new fresh word, but we're also continuously have our mouths open to receive the strong meat 
of his word and also the line, the empowerment of that word to go forth. So I, it's, it's just, I love that. Well, and just remember, that's very good. Remember that, you know, the scripture speaks new things to us every time. So here I'm trying to get across, you know, being watchful, being ready, having spiritual readiness. You know, that's, that's where I'm going. And that all of a sudden, Lord takes you this way. That's the beauty of scripture. You know, I'm speaking this, but you're hearing this. That's very powerful. Yes. Where, where's a place where you generally don't fall asleep? At the table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after you leave the table, you get in the easy chair and you have the itis and you go to sleep. You know what I mean? But I mean, it's, it's a, it really is a place of, of fellowship in the present, in his presence, where he's continuously empowering us and feeding us. And I don't know. It's just what I saw. No, no, no. I, I think that's great. All right, we're just going to keep going, you know, with this, this uh, theme that I have, um, <clears throat> you know, about readiness. And, you know, just think about this generically now. Uh, I kind of inserted this. Um, um, you know, as we read through the New Testament, which we all do, you know, it's part of your daily devotions. You know, readiness, just the word readiness emphasizes good works in the New Testament it's about witness, and it's also about readiness for salvation. And, you know, that's very powerful because the Christian life really is very distinctive, and it's, it's got dynamic character. Uh, praise God. All right, let's jump into uh, the marriage of the Lamb. And this is in Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Uh, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, we're going to come back and talk about this. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings. So, ready here um, is derived from the word hetoimos, but this word in Revelation is hetoimazo, uh, which means to provide. Um, this song that I just read in Revelation um, is a song and a description of the bride of Christ and how she appeared. Um, in verse 8, uh, the nuptial ornaments that she did not purchase by any price of her own, but received them from the ministry of her blessed Lord. Uh, the word granted in verse 8 is didomai, meaning to give or bestow. All right, now we're going to transition. And remember, this is interpretation. This is how I set up the outline. Um, I'm calling this uh, Steps in Spiritual Preparation. Um, these scriptures that are below are like uh, constant reminders, almost like a checklist of things. And we need to review them all the time as we journey through life. Um, this first one, um, Oh, it's about King Jehoshaphat, and he was the fourth king of Judah. 
And um, I, I left this in. I thought it was interesting how this started. He was rebuked uh, by the prophet Jehu for making an alliance with the evil king Ahab of Israel. Um, and I have entitled this first step, The Abandonment of Idols. And here it is specifically concerning the groves, uh, you know, which are a stand of trees where demonic worship was performed. So let's look at this. Um, Second Chronicles 19, one through four. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanai, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Wow, that's how he greeted him. Um, King Jehoshaphat um, thought uh, that Judah was somehow subordinate to Israel and dependent upon them, and, and this is how he uh, justified his actions with King Ahab. Um, and so Jehu is basically reprimanding him for this. But look at the next part. Then the prophet declares this next word. Uh, verse 3. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared, which means to be erect or to be established. So, you know, here's another prepared, but it means something entirely different. So, has prepared in thine heart to seek God. And Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim, and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. Now, to his credit, <laughs> King Jehoshaphat showed himself to be an able administrator, and he was a man of piety who earnestly sought in all things to honor God. Um, you know, he was not content to simply purge his kingdom of pagan forms of worship, and he did do that, but he took steps to ensure that the Mosaic law was known and understood throughout his entire kingdom. I found that very interesting. Um, today, um, you know, many Christians have idols that they worship, and I'm not going to try to list them. There's, it could be a number of things. But they give first place to them instead of to God. And I was thinking about it, and, you know, a lot of times they, people in the world, they really lack an understanding and a knowledge of the Word of God and um, especially concerning evil and darkness. You know, it's all around them, but they don't get it. Um, it's kind of scary. I mean, I, I don't ever talk to people that way in the world, but you know, evil will truly consume you if you let it. So we really have to have a heart for those people, but you don't just tell them that. You know, you witness to them. Um, it really is important for us to have a discerning spirit. And we, to follow up and bring closure to this part, we always must be trees of righteousness that demonstrate the ways of God. Um, all right, now that was my first step in uh, spiritual preparation. 
So now we're going to talk about the second one. I, I don't know that there's a special order. This is just the order I put it in. Okay, I don't, you know, I'm sure you can move them around. Um, okay, the second step is cleansing of God's temple. We're still talking about Hezekiah. This was during his reign. And uh, there was much uh, busy work um, in the cleansing of the house of the Lord uh, in this scripture that we're going to talk about. And the persons that are employed in this process, of course, were the priests and the Levites who should have kept the temple clean in the first place. Uh, the temple was reopened and cleansed from all that made it unfit and they reestablished true worship and, you know, with the covenant that they had with God and, and Israel was reaffirmed. So that's kind of like a summary, but let's just read it. Second uh, Chronicles 29, 15 through 16. And they gathered their brethren and sanctified, meaning to be cleaned and consecrated themselves, and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse. I thought this was interesting. To cleanse, to be bright and to be pure. The house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse, again, same thing, to be bright and to be pure, it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord and the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron um, and, and I had to I had to look at that um, it's also called the valley of uh, Jehoshaphat and that's what I recognized yeah you know I was like I don't remember this um, it's a place that's very dry and sun-baked for most of the year. And uh, in the Old Testament, many of the kings used the valley as a place of destruction for all the heathen idols. And they would either be burned uh, to the ground or they would be ground to powder. That's what would happen to those things. And so think about us. You know, our ministry as priests and kings before God in reaching out to other nations is to cleanse the corporate church and bring a recommitment to God and his purposes by be creating his house to be a place of divers intercession and prayer. Amen? All right, now my third one, third step. Now, this is my interpretation here. This is angelic declaration and about making ourselves ready. So I'm going to read it first. Uh, Luke 1, verses 13 through 17. But the angel said unto him, uh, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, 
and the disobedient to the uh, wisdom of the just. Okay, now I'm going to slow down. This is what I want to talk about. To make ready, and this is hetoi mazo, meaning to prepare, and it also means, uh, it's referring to an internal uh, fitness. I'm going to come back to this. And then we go on and it says a people prepared, kataskuadzo, um, so that would be external, meaning to create, build, or make for the Lord. Interesting words here. Um, so let's just focus on that bottom part. So um, let's review. To be ready is to be internally fit in the spirit, um, meaning we have accepted the commission of becoming a son where he would release his power to us. We, we bear our cross, laying down our lives for this calling. Um, we are equipped, um, aligned with God's purpose, and are furnished for his assignments to, fill, to fulfill on the earth. Um, let's look at um, prepared, uh, that's verse 17, which is external, means we are building the tabernacles of David throughout the world. And we know that the tabernacle of David is being restored through the Gentile church this, to the, today in the world. It's happening in our church, moving up. Um, establishing these tabernacles releases worship and commune with the Father as his sons. And, and this is what we are constructing or creating for the Lord. And it is one of our object objectives as well as when we uh, enter into eternity, I think. This is interpretation here. Um, let's talk about the angel. Um, he came and he declared to Zacharias, um, you know, the news of the birth of John. And what happened to him? He was stricken, speechless, with his reluctance to believe. Zacharias and Elizabeth both had to make ready their hearts to receive this gift from God. Um, all during John's uh, childhood, they had to prepare him uh, for his mighty purpose as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Okay, so here's my point. And I'm talking about us. Um, we may not visibly see an angel declaring to us to get ready for our assignment from the Father. Okay, you may never see one. But they are there to minister to us as the heirs of salvation, uh, to give us direction, to give us uh, prophetic understandings from his word. Um, in diversities of tongues, we speak the languages of men and angels. Therefore, in the spirit, we are communing with the angelic. You may not know it. But if you don't know it, it I think it requires more growth. You know, an expression I used in school, practice makes perfect. 
All right, so this is my third step. And here's my last one. And this is, and there's no special order to this. Uh, it's personal purification. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verses 19 through 21. Um, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, hagios, and meet for the master's use, and prepared. Here's our word again, and this is hetoi madzo, uh, made ready, unto every good work. Uh, let me just say this about the world. Um, we must remember that the unbelief of people cannot make the promise of God of no effect. And I have had that happen numerous times when I've been talking to people in the world. They continue to tear God down and they, they don't hear me. But I can't let that tear me down. Okay. You know, um, it's our duty that everyone who names the name of Christ must depart from iniquity. So important our witness is. We must go away from wickedness or else he will not own us as sons. We must be ready to perform the labor and deeds he has given us to accomplish and fulfill for him. Um, ergon, which is in that very last line up there, uh, means work, and it's used for the divine work of creation from which God rests. God has given us as humans a special position over the work of his hands. And then in verse 21, to be holy or sanctified is a statement we're proclaiming that we are purely focused upon the will of God. Holiness is a proactive pursuit of what God desires and it's making his passion our own. You know, all of this hinges on keeping our physical temples cleansed and purged daily and in a state of readiness to have a part in this mighty work of God. All right. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, I may have to skip some here at the end. I'm going to insert this little story because I think this is heavy. And um, the next section's about uh, preparation always precedes blessing. Uh, so I'm gonna tell you a story. Uh, I do a lot of preparation for Thanksgiving, and I have for a number of years. 
and um, you know I have to I have to pre have that preparation time in order for you know my meal my dinner to be a success and also a blessing to my family so I always start weeks ahead and I make these lists and I get all my recipe cards out and I check them and then you know the next day or whatever I check it again make sure I didn't miss anything I make these lists and I know that over this span of so many weeks you know I'll start and get this group and stockpile um, and what always happens not not every year and he's smiling at me but on the day of Thanksgiving honey uh, could you run to the store now in our household I'm the food shopper so this isn't an easy task for him I mean he, he picks up stuff at the store all the time for me but you know milk eggs you know bread that's easy so I'm telling him okay I need this spice and I have to show him the bottle and I have to talk about it he's like okay all right I'll, I'll, I'll you know takes a picture of it I'll get it okay fine but then sometimes it's not that complicated thing. Sometimes it's, I've made so many dishes that I've run out of butter, for example, like a box of butter, you know, it has the four sticks in it. That's probably the most common thing. I run out of butter. I just, I, I use every stick in the house. So he'll go to the store and um, he's also learned uh, to call me because he doesn't want to go back <laughs> a second time or a third time. And he'll say, uh, you know, I can't find it. And I'll say, well, here, do this. See if you can find a stalker or some, uh, you know, some lady maybe that's in that aisle. Just ask him, you know, to help you. <laughs> he does. He'll, he'll ask for help. And so usually I get the right thing. Now, it has happened if it's too sophisticated, whatever it is I've asked him to do. Sometimes I do have to substitute. But I have to have that preparation time because... Uh, there's certain dishes dishes that my family likes and they're all different things that they like and I want to make it to the best of my ability and I want to have the right ingredients I don't want to substitute I want to use the real thing you know I don't want to use margarine I want to use butter you know so it's important to me so to, to close out this little story um, uh, you know it's a big dinner and it takes me a while to get it all together and of course everybody helps me now because they, they know how to help me you know, in the beginning, you're not sure how to help yourself, you know. So everybody helps me. But this happened a long time ago. Ryan was probably about seven years old. And so it was after Thanksgiving, and I said to him, I said, what was your favorite food? And, of course, I'm thinking he's going to say to me, uh, mashed potatoes with giblet gravy or uh, apple pie with vanilla ice cream. See, that's what I'm thinking he's going to say. He's seven, so he looks at me and he goes, oh, mom, he said, my favorite food was the black olives, oh, mom. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, black olives? You like the black olives? He said, oh, yes, mom, they are good. And uh, to tell a little story on him, I, I knew why then. Uh, I had, you know, you open the can, you drain it, you put it in a bowl, that's, that's the end. There's no preparation for black olives. None, none whatsoever. You didn't send Dennis to Israel or? 
<laughs> to get the real thing, tree, okay. get the real, real olives. Yeah, just, yeah, like these were, yeah, these are the generic kind. So he would, at the table, you know, he's seven years old and there's a lot of people sitting there and he's, he's fine, he's a good kid. But, you know, he's with all these big people and so he just discovered that, and he's seven, he discovered that he could put these olives on the end of his <laughs> fingertips. So he proceeded to put them on all ten fingers. And it was funny, you know, I'm laughing, everybody's laughing. And so uh, we're watching him. See, because he's, he's a real careful kid, you know, he, he didn't get in trouble much. And so he would chew off the one on his right thumb, he'd eat that one off, and then he'd eat off the one on his index finger, and then he'd pick up his fork, and he would eat his food, because he was enjoying the meal. <laughs> and as he went through the meal, then he would eat the others, you know, like on this hand, and then do this. And, he, and it was a game with him. It was his own personal game at Thanksgiving to, okay, I'm gonna eat my food, and then I'm gonna eat off my black olives, and I'll do it, and I'll try to do it all at the same time. My plate's empty and all my black olives are gone. Well, it was hilarious and we took pictures of him and it was funny and there was always that conversation. Well, every time I would do my lists for Thanksgiving, obviously you know what I had on the list first, to get a couple of cans of black olives. Well, this happened for a long time. So I started with medium black olives and then I graduated to large because he was growing, his, his fingers were getting bigger. <laughs> then it was extra large, and then it was jumbo. And so, and he was so happy to see those on the table and he had so much fun with them. And then everybody enjoyed their special dish, you know, that I had worked hard on. But this year, um, my son and family went to Amy's family's house. You know, you have to share. And so I got a picture on Thanksgiving later in the day from Ryan, and he sent me a picture of, they were at the table, he sent me a picture of Lainey. Lainey's the youngest one of the four, and she's two. And Lainey had her hand up like this in the picture, and she had black olives on one hand. So the tradition still continues. So it is a lot of fun to think back, and then it's also a lot of fun to see the tradition carried forward with your grandchildren. So that, you know, that did not require preparation, and of course the big topic today is we need much preparation spiritually, we truly do. Um, I'm not going to finish this. I'm going to talk about a couple of these. Um, you can see that, um, as you look through this, preparation always precedes uh, blessing. Uh, I, I took a sampling here, and there's like nine examples from the Old and New Testament, um, various types of preparation needed by God's people to bring the answer. Okay, some of these were easy to perform and others took a lifetime. So what I'm gonna do is I'll kind of jump around and then close. Because I don't, I don't really have time to do all of them because there's nine, I think, yes. All right, but let's, um, let's see. Let's just start with the first one. Um, Elisha, um, this is kind of an intro. Um, he, uh, the prophet tells Israel uh, to uh, make ditches or furrows in the ground. Um, and I'm sure uh, this was a test of their faith and obedience to complete this task. That would be a lot of work. Um, 
uh, no one uh, knew where the water came from. Uh, there was no rain. Um, there wasn't an underground spring. So all of a sudden, you know, here appears in the ditches water. So let's read this. It's no water for the army until ditches were dug. So 2 Kings 3, verses 16 and 17. And he, the referring to Elisha, said, uh, Thus saith the Lord, uh, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink, both you and your cattle and your beasts. Uh, and this is but a light or easy thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. Okay, so what happens here? Uh, the Moabites, they, they rose up early in the morning and they saw the water in the ditches and they saw it as blood and thought that the kings had killed each other so they were eager to get to the spoils. So Israel was not only saved from perishing but would return in triumph because it was promised that they would be the masters of this rebellious uh, country. Uh, the next one is also Elisha. Um, uh, Elisha, he's, he's listening to this poor widow's complaint and um, she was the wife of one of the sons of the prophets who had died and, and he was probably well known by Elisha. Doesn't say that in scripture, but that's an assumption. Um, it also appears that her husband was impoverished and in debt when he passed away, and this was during the reign of uh, Jezebel, uh, when the prophets were pro prosecuted. Um, Elisha asked her, um, what shall I do for you? And she had nothing to sell but one pot of oil. So let's look at that. No oil until the vessels were gathered. 2 Kings 4, 3 through 4. Then he, speaking of Elisha, said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, and, e and even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. Um, I think the point here is that she made the best of what she had. Elisha enabled her to not only meet the present need, uh, but he set her up for future uh, to sell more oil. Because the oil was multiplied in the pouring. So the way to increase what we have is to use it. To him that hath shall be given. She did it firmly believing in the divine power, the goodness, and also in obedience to the prophet. Oh, I've got to do the next one. Um, this is the story of Naaman. Um, you know, he was a captain in the Syrian army and he, uh, who was healed of leprosy uh, by the prophet Elisha. So I worded it, no healing until the leper had dipped seven times. Okay, so let's look at this, 2 Kings 5.10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, and this is Naaman, uh, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh 
shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, <clears throat> I only have this one little scripture here, but you know the story. And remember, Naaman was really disgusted at the method that was prescribed for him, and it was really not what he expected. Um, you know, he really scorns to be healed unless his wishes are indulged. Uh, I, ha I don't have it on there, but it would be the next verse. It'd be verse 11. I have it on my handout. Um, I, he said this. This is Naaman speaking. Elisha will surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord. He was not expecting a messenger. He was insulted. Um, he also took it hard when he had to go and wash in the Jordan River in Israel instead of a river in, where was he from? Damascus, Syria. Uh, he was in a rage, really, to swear he would never have anything more to say to Elisha. Well, what happened? Naaman's servants, they, they reasoned with him. And, you know, this is an easy method. All you have to do is wash and be clean. And so he yielded to what they said. Uh, you know, think about when we're saved. We simply believe, repent, and we're pardoned. It is so plain and simple that there is no excuse to accept and obey. But Naaman finally consented to wash seven times to cleanse his flesh. The number seven is the manner through which God represents himself. We know that. It's the fullness of God's ways. Interesting. He had a terrible attitude through this whole thing. Um, okay. I'm going to start uh, jumping here. Let's see. Let me go to... Um, let's do... Um, you'll have to look at your handout. I want to go to the one, no vision. It'd be like number seven. No vision without obedience. Um, John 9, 7. Um, this is the, the story um, about the poor man that was blind that Jesus passed by. Um, he made clay of his spittle and placed it on the man's eyes uh, and, and said unto him, and this is Jesus speaking, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Okay, now... I don't know where that was and where he was, but the pool of Siloam was a reservoir in Jerusalem, and uh, it was supplied with water through King Hezekiah's underground tunnel that he had made, you know, and he could tap a spring that was on the outside of the city. Um, scripture says the blind man went his way. Blind man, he's not healed yet. He went his way, which means apart from where they were, and we don't know the distance he walked, but he obeyed the words of Jesus and was healed. Now, this word wash means specifically to cleanse the hands and, and it says, and maybe the feet and face. 
uh, the blind man probably washed his hands and eyes and every inch of his body not to misinterpret the master's instructions, I think, and to show obedience. Okay, now I'm going to close with uh, this one here. Um, this, is, this one we talk about a lot, too. And <clears throat> this is the famous story of Lazarus. And <clears throat> as you know, take a drink of water. He was Mary <clears throat> and Martha's brother, who was raised from the dead. <clears throat> Jesus came, comes to the cave, and, and he groans. And um, he was really displeased at the belief of, the, of those that were doubting his power. And they also blamed him for not preventing Lazarus' death. Um, now, this is what I want you to focus on. Um, orders were given to remove the stone so that all the bystanders, and there were many, might see the body lying de dead in the sepulcher. Uh, when Lazarus was, uh, Lazarus was re resurrected, it would be a true body. It wouldn't be a ghost. And so no one could dispute that. So by removing the stone, they, they open the grave, and, you know, if we are to see the glory of God, we must let Christ take his own way. So they took away the stone, and this is all they could do. Um, and Christ is the only one that could give life. So no resurrection until the stone is removed. John eleven thirty eight through 39. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Now, you know what? Let's talk about Martha for a minute. Uh, you know, she's kind of speaking in the language of unbelief in verse 39. But it's true. By that time, he was stinking. It was too late now. It was hopeless. So this distrustful word of hers actually served to make the miracle even more evident and famous. Now, I'm going to uh, conclude. And I want to um, I want to pose a question uh, for you to ponder. Are we spiritually ready for the new year 2024? You know, our Father is ready to send us out. It depends on the person either in intercession into heavenly places in Christ Jesus, new places, and or it could be physically two locations he has ordained for us to restore. But in order to fulfill his will, are we spiritually ready? And I hope that this teaching that I gave you today, apologize I didn't get to do all of the last part, but, you know, it's interesting, just like when Monica was talking about eating at the table and you're not going to fall asleep. What spoke to you today about being spiritually ready for this new year? It's going to be different for all of you. 
And I pray that the Lord would, um, through intercession, make it very clear and very concrete and that you would accept it and receive it by faith. Amen. So blessings to all of you. Um, it's five after, but I was going to open it for comments. I think you're quite, you know, you posed a question to us, and I think you, I think an answer for us is in one of these scriptures that you gave us, which you didn't have time to go to, which is Hosea 10, 12. Say that again, Monica. Hosea 10, 12. Yes. Which is so instructive for us in this year, which says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, what God is saying is right hand. We reap in mercy, we lean in, we hear him, what he's speaking in his mercy seat. We allow the fallow ground to be broken up, the parts that are inactive, like you give here. For it is time to seek diligently Yahweh, till he come and reign, which we know means to teach and instruct righteousness upon us. I think that's a good word for us this year. That's really good for our preparation, because it's it's... It is a continual, it, this is a continual process for us, no matter where we get. And it's very humbling, but it's also very empowering. It's a good scripture. Yes, I liked them all. That was the problem. <laughs> I just randomly started picking there at the end. Uh, any other comments? Well, in the natural, we, we say that uh, success comes when opportunity meets preparedness and uh, God wants us to do the preparedness in the spirit for well when we meet when we perform the preparedness that's when he creates his miracle work very often in our life and so that's a matter of getting ready for the miracle yes preparing yes I think preparation for all of you is going to be a little different. Amy? <clears throat> just, just one real quick comment. When you were on the uh, cleansing of, of God's temple. Yes, yeah. Um, this is God's temple, right? Not us, but our God's temple. Right. So one of the things that came up to me was when Jesus was equipping the 12 apostles. Yes. And he sent them forth. First thing he said in verse 8 was, heal the sick cleanse the lepers. And I remember Pastor referencing <laughs> the first message that was ever that, that he delivered when he, when he came back from Brownsville was about the cleansing of leprosy. And when you look at that word katharizo, it's the direct opposite. The direct opposite is to be unclean. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you read verse 1, he's, he's given them exousia to go out and to um, um, to deal with unclean spirits as well. So we, I don't know, we, we're probably going to see some incredible demonstrations where the Lord, I mean, we don't have lepers walking around, but spiritual leprosy is in the church. And I just think it's interesting that heal those that are, that are not functioning, or those that are weak, um, the asthenia, and then he goes straight into the second one to cleanse leprosy. I think that's, that's part of the cleaning of the house. It is. Yeah. And the pastor has recently spoken about, back in the early days, how they hung those banners, those red and green banners, in the sanctuary. 
And um, I remember that vividly. I was asking the Lord, what does this mean? Uh, for the, I was asking him two questions. What does this mean for, for us corporately? What does that mean? And what does it mean for me? I, was, I wasn't afraid, but I was taken back. And um, it was very powerful. And he talked about it maybe this week, Pastor, I think, yeah. on Wednesday Night Live. And I thought about that, but, you know, I was kind of driven today yeah, to, yeah, you yeah. know, to stick with that. Mm -hmm. But see how it's so interesting. You're all coming, you know, speaking about different things. And I felt like that was going to happen. I really did. I, I felt like it was really going to um, take a lot of pass this morning. I, I felt like you were all going to start traveling in different directions and looking at your lives and what you needed to uh, grasp from today, what scripture, you know, what, what, what is it that Tammy said that I need to implement, you know, that sort of thing. Okay, I think that's very, it's, it's very interesting. I, I received this prophetic directive. Um, two, two things. One is that with the virgins, Yes. like you said, they were all sleeping. And the, the challenge for us is to recognize that when God seems to delay, that we stay ready. Because that, that's the tricky part. But the other thing about this leprosy business, I, rem I remember that so strangely because, you know, I know Dennis, um, you and Tammy were here and Les was here during that really strange time. And um, Paul and Dan and I came back from Brownsville and you know how the spirit had really impacted all three of us. And, um, you know, knowing me coming out of the general church and being a pastor, the normal thing to have done, because since everybody had been fasting and praying, right. um, would be just to, to testify and to impart to people. And I remember very clearly being so shaken on that Saturday. And I, I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do Because the you know, testimony of what we've experienced and what we've received. Started talking to me about that leprosy, which was totally off the chart. You know, <laughs> who does that? That made no sense whatsoever. And so I felt led to contact Rachel, who did not go to Brownsville. Right, right. But she was the one that, you know, Dan came home, and she was the one that brought that ad to me out of the evangelist. Said, Pastor, have you considered going to this? And I looked at it, and my first thought was, no, I don't want to go there. But then it just stuck with me. So I called Rachel, and I said, you know, Rachel, how's Dan doing? Oh, he's fine. And I said, uh, God put this really weird message for me to bring tomorrow about leprosy. And that God said he's going to use us as one of his vessels to address leprosy in the church and I said this scripture came with the red and the green which is in the house 
And she immediately said, I'll get, I'll get swaths of cloth to hang up there. And I said, okay. That all happened like Saturday late afternoon. But it, it just so strange to me because we didn't know what was going to happen from that point. Honestly, I thought God's just going to have a visitation and we're just going to have revival. You know, whatever we thought revival was. So to do that weird thing was so, first of all, out of character for me as an Assemblies of God pastor. And secondly, who does that kind of weird stuff? You know, for me, I would have thought the old Ron would have said, I'm not doing that. It's going to totally screw up what God's giving. So I guess I guess the, the issue is, is that uh, to be prepared, prophetically prepared, which would go totally against everything that we had done, everything that all of us good kids had been trained to do, how do you how do you minister an anointing and a visitation to your people? We know how to do that. I mean, you just line everybody up and have a lot of slain in the spirits and lay hands. That's what we did. But I don't think we did that on that Sunday morning. I think we, we sang and went to the enemy's camp, took back what he's, that was part of our worship, off the soundtrack from Brownsville that was produced by GPH. And to, to hang those leprosy banners, and now this emphasis, I think we're really coming into a season of this. And and it's it's this preparation prophetic message establishes that this is where we are. Well, Mark and Trish, you weren't there, but it was uh, beautiful red and beautiful green. And I'm not talking like a ribbon laying up there. I'm talking like large, yeah. long, wide Man. material. Yeah. I have you know, no idea where she was. slapped over the baptistry. Because <laughs> the Jesus banner wasn't up there yet. But anyway, it was huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yes. But it was huge. So, I mean, you didn't just see some little color up there. You saw a lot of color. And it was it was very beautiful yeah. looking at it. But it, it I, I was like, okay, where, where in the scripture is this? <laughs> well, I was too. I walked in. I had no idea what she was going to find. I that, walked in. Whoa, I'm looking, I'm looking in the Bible, you know, because I had a few minutes trying to figure out where the scripture was. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite unique, but it was very powerful. And here we all are still. <laughs> well, next week oh, is Dennis. So come back, and then the following week is um, Pastor Fabian, and we need to talk to um, people in the church that do not come to Sunday school um, and encourage them. They can come next Sunday. I mean, I'm not limiting, you know, teacher, <laughs> but you know, sounds like they can only come when Pastor Fabian's here. But he he's presenting something new that we don't know. And we're a class of teachers, and I felt like that would be so beneficial for all of us as a class of teachers to hear that together as a group. And then as we question him, we're going to learn from each other as well. But then I thought that's also a good time to try to pull in people that don't come to Sunday school, you know, by saying, 
Tabor doing a special thing with Pastor Fabian. You know, so, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody go to Sunday school. I'm trying to just invite them, and I was going to use that as my tool, you know, by saying, guess what we're going to do during the month? So if you're going to sleep in, do it next week. <laughs> <laughs>